Well, the Lord has brought us as far as chapter 7 in the book of Job. If you remember, as we've been going line by line and verse by verse, the Lord's been speaking to our hearts of... uh, what not? What kind of counselor not to be, right? Uh, Job's counselors here, these three friends, you, you begin to look at them. Um, and and I, again, it's, it's striking because how many chapters? What, 31 chapters? I, I really, I think by the time we get to like chapter 20, you're going to be looking and you're going to go rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. But there's a reason that the Lord continued to, to draw this out and allow this to be recorded. I think he wants to absolutely burn it into us never to be like this, never to be this kind of a, a, a counselor, to go to someone and, and, and try to understand what they're going through, try to show compassion, demonstrate compassion and love. Um, they're so, at this point, as we get to almost chapter 7, right around chapter 7, 8, in that area, it begins to switch. They're, they're no longer, they're still thinking they're going to be, you know, somehow being compassionate or comforting Job, but really what begins to happen at this point is it all becomes about winning their argument. Because Job has come back and said, no, friends, I, I really don't have secret sin. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why these things are happening. And um, he, he does have his moments where you can see he'll kind of spin for a little bit, or I call it downward spiral. Where he'll, he'll kind of let some of these things work in his heart. And he'll go, you know, maybe I am. You know, maybe there is something. I don't know what God, what is it? Almost like he's going to put God on trial. Um, but, you know, they, his friends put that, and I use that, those words, I use that word friend lightly, but they, they put that in his head. And, and again, it's just another reminder. We have no idea, you know, they're, they're trying to speak in, in, in the gap uh, of God, and they have no idea what they're doing or saying. And we just need to be really careful. Sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. And just stay silent, love on someone, meet them where they're at. We don't have to have all the answers. But sometimes a hug or a kiss or just sitting and holding someone's hand is the greatest blessing you can give to a person. Father, we come before you this evening. Lord, as we open up your word, we pray, Lord, as always, you would anoint it. God, we pray that you would go um, before us and, Lord, settle our hearts here. Maybe we've been jobed in our lives, Lord. Um, maybe we've jobed somebody else, Lord. I, I don't know. Lord, I know there's no coincidence in that you have us here tonight and you have us in this word. And, and Lord, we certainly go through suffering. Lord, it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the condition of a fallen world, Lord. You tell us these things. These things needs be, Lord. Right out of Genesis 3, Lord. So, God, we do pray that um, while we're redeemed and reconciled to you, Jesus, that you would strengthen us. That through the trials, Lord, we wouldn't pray the trials away. We pray you into the trials, Lord. We don't want to have to do these things twice. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to glorify your name in all the things we go through in life. We love you, Jesus. We just pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I should have asked, if anyone doesn't have a Bible, please raise your hand and one of the ushers or elders are bringing you a Bible. I want you to have the word of God so you can follow along line by line and verse by verse. If anyone needs it, just, just raise your hand. Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? He's basically saying these things happen because life's difficult. Are not his days also like the days of a hired man? Like a servant who earnestly desires the shade and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages, so I have been allotted months of futility. 
you know, what he's saying here is even a servant gets a break, right? There's, there's no break in this trial, this calamity. This has been months. We get an idea in verse 3 just how long this has been going on. You know, you read from Job chapter 1, you start to see it break out in chapter 2 when it begins to afflict him. Chapter 3 moves on. We, we have no idea. Was this here? All we know at this point in verse 3 is this is months now that he's going through this. Just think about us here. We get sick for a week. Maybe we have something going on, you know. Oh, man. What do you mean I can't get into the doctors in a week? What do you mean I can't get a prescription? What do you mean I can't? Months. Remember, he's at a garbage dump. That's where the ashes were, right? He, 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 there's no penicillin. There's no, you know, there's nothing to, to help him with the pain. There's no anesthesia that way. He's literally been suffering for months. He said, so I've, I've been allotted months of futility. And wearisome nights have I been anointed or appointed to me, excuse me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. What's he saying here? I can't sleep. It's like David when he says, I, I literally cry and I just toil on my bed all night. I can't sleep. He's awake all night. He's just waiting for the night to be over so the day can begin again. Have you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about when, when you're, you, you know, it's something about night. You know, the, the, the spiritual warfare seems to be amped up at night. You know, you're, you might be in your room, wherever you are. Um, sometimes when you're tired, lonely, angry, all those things that kind of come upon us, the human condition. And, uh, or if you're sick or whatever, and, and you just dread that night. You know, you just can't wait till the sun rises. And it's sort of, it's a new day. His mercies are made new, as he says, right? He's looking forward that this is where Job is at. He's literally just praying away the night so that the day will come, the dawn will come. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. He's talking about oozing ulcers and sores. My days are swifter than a, a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. He, he's saying here, and we don't use that term, a weaver's shuttle. It's the idea is it's fast. Life is going so fast. He's not even sure how much longer he's going to live. He just sees it going fast before his very eyes. And it's leading to this place of without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath and my eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. What's he saying? My life is being drained quickly. I could die any moment. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house nor his place be known to any more. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. What's he saying? Well, any of us that have lived long enough, there comes a point, and I, I, I used to laugh when my, my parents got to that point. I have Italian, you know, that Italian parents and family, and they get to a certain age, and um, the filter uh, gets turned off. You know, and, uh, you know, we could be at the store, we could be somewhere, and all of a sudden, you know, it's just, you sit there and, you know, it's just heavy stuff. You just, you just, 
where'd this come from? Who is this person? I never, I never heard him speak this way. That's what he's talking about. He says, look, I'm, I'm going through a lot. I, the, the filter's off here. He's got nothing to lose. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? Am I, am I so dangerous, God? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. What he's saying is I just want to sleep until all this is over, right? Then you scare me with dreams. He's talking about even when he sleeps and he's actually able to fall asleep because he said he couldn't sleep. He has nightmares. And terrify me with visions. God's not doing this. God's not doing this. We have to understand. We see this here. At this point, he's beginning to believe his friends that are saying, Job, you've sinned. You do. This, is what, this is God's judgment upon you, Job. And you could see there's a little bit of this creeping into his heart. He's, he's starting to listen to some of this poor counsel. We've got to be careful. Our friends, our counselors, we've got to really be careful who we take counsel from. So that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone, for my days are but a breath. Again, it wasn't God. Who was it? Satan. He likes to appear as an angel of light. What is a man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long? He's saying, why, Lord, why are you making me a target? Why am I your target? Will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Somebody would maybe say it a different way, love me less. Love me less. Have I sinned? Verse 20, Lord, is there something I'm, I'm not aware of that I've done? Is there a secret sin? Tell me, because I, I don't know. Have you, have you ever sat with someone and, and maybe you're getting counsel, you're counseling, and, and they look at you and they say, well, what's going on? Why is this happening? As though you have the answer. I mean, you're there because you're looking for what? Help, comfort. And they immediately begin to almost read you the riot act and you start to really think, did, well, gosh, what did I do today? What did I, what did I do? You know, he's, eventually, we're going to see here pretty soon in a few chapters, he's actually going to start going back to his youth because he literally cannot remember of a single thing that he has done that could have possibly caused this to happen to him, and that he was in some way deserving of this judgment. Again, remember, this is still of the patriarchs at this time where they believed, culturally speaking, that the righteous will always be blessed by God. Our Bible and Jesus clearly teaches us that is not the truth. That's the problem with the faith and prosperity gospel. That's the problem with any alternate gospel, a gospel that does not teach the word of God. As they interject religion, they interject man's wisdom. They come up with all these cultural narratives that have nothing to do with reality and truth. And you know what it does? It wrecks people. It wrecks people. The faith and prosperity gospel, friends, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus clearly tells us, you will suffer. You will be afflicted. But lo, I have what? Overcome the world. 
But Job's in this moment, he's spinning. We, we get to these places, don't we? I get to this. Have I sinned? What, what, have I, what have I done? What did I do? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target? I, I'm really sure that Job wants to know this because if Job did sin like any of us, he wants to repent. He just wants to get right with God. Job probably has been, you know, I, I'm on a short leash with God. I, I blow it. I, I know it right away. And I, I got to get on my knees and I got to repent. I'm on a short leash. There's some people they can, they have a longer leash. They can keep going and keep, and there's no conviction because they've seared the spirit of God. I don't, I don't believe Job is that guy. I mean, Job is sitting there going, what is going on? Why have you set me as a target? And again, all this because of bad counsel. Maybe Elahaz is right. Maybe that's what he's thinking at this moment. So that I am burdened to myself. Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? What's he really wanting here? He just wants forgiveness and pardoning. If he's done something wrong, he's, Lord, just forgive me, whatever I've done. That's a good place to be. That's, a, that's humility. The God can work with that. God can always work with that. For now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. Then Bildad, the Shuite answered and said, how long will you speak these things? Don't you just want to, I won't say what I want to say. Don't you just want to hug Bildad? I think you sense the sarcasm in my voice. What a friend. He's spilling his heart out here. He's saying, Lord, what have I done? He's, 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 he's suffering. He's not being comforted. And, and Bildad, the first thing, how long are you going to keep us here with this nonsense, Job? You're just blabbing and blabbing and blabbing. I mean, where's, where's the love and compassion in that? That's what I mean when, I, when we read that. We, don't, don't Job somebody, right? Don't do this. We, we shouldn't do this. I mean, the man is spilling his guts and, minist- and the ministering of Bildad is, uh, you know, suck it up. And the words of your mouth be like a strong wind. Wow. You're just blowing hot air. That's what he's saying. You're just blowing hot air, Job. Job's a better, Job's a better man than me. Does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? Now, what's he doing? He's, he's almost acting like he's judge over Job as, he, as though he knows what God is thinking. You're getting what you deserve is what he's saying. Because he's saying, or does the Almighty pervert justice? In other words, is he not giving you what you deserve? Because otherwise it would be a perversion of justice if he wasn't. You're suffering, Job, because you deserve it. And yet we know from chapter 1 and chapter 2, it has nothing to do with that, does it? It's actually because of the righteousness of Job. Because God said, have you seen my servant Job? What is it really all about? It's about God's reputation and about Satan's reputation and all of heaven and all of the angels are watching. And God has said, my servant Job, there's no one like him. And Satan said, yeah, but that's because you give him these things, you bless him, you do this. No one could love you, God, for you. That's the accusation of Satan. 
God, no one could love you for you. It's only because you've blessed this man and his family and his children and everything. You see the accusation here? And now, now Bildad is piling on top of that. He's going to turn around and bring this out to the point of where he's even going to accuse all of this is your fault, your children, everything that's happened to them. I mean, oh my. If your sons have sinned against him, not what did he do? He brought, he's a father. He's a father. He just, parents in here, grandparents. I mean, your kids, your grandkids. He just, you see what he just did? If your sons have sinned against him, is he cast them away for their transgressions? Okay, it's been months later. You're still mourning your kids. Your child died. Something like this happened. Your young adult children died. And what does he do? He says, it's all your fault. It's all your fault, Job, and it's all their fault. You had a wicked family. Wow. He uses guilt to comfort him. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, he's not even mincing words now, surely now he would awake for you and prosper you rightfully. And Bildad has this completely wrong. He's trying to, he's, what a way to misrepresent God, huh? And prosper your, your, your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would be increasingly abundant. For inquire, please, of the former age and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we were born, for were we born yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow? He says, you know, like babies, they know nothing. Were we born yesterday? He says, even the ancients, he's talking about wisdom through the ages being passed down. And while there's some truth to that, certainly, they got it wrong here. Will they not teach you and tell you utter words from their heart? Can a papyrus or papyrus grow up without a marsh? What, what's he doing now, Bildad? What would we call this when you have a problem, you have gap analysis? What is it when you go back and you try to figure out what the problem is? What do we call that? Root cause analysis, right? Root cause analysis. What he's do- so what he's doing is he's laying this trip on Job, and he's basically saying, Job, you got to get to the root, right? Can a papyrus grow up without a marsh? He's talking about cause and effect, right? Nature, cause and effect. All creation testifies, doesn't it? Isn't that what Scripture teaches? Can the reeds... Flourish without water, while it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God. And the hope of the hypocrite shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off, and whose trust is a spider web. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. What's he doing? He's actually imploring nature. He's going through and he's using nature, and he's using that to show cause and effect. And, And while it's factual, Right? We, we understand that these things are factual. We can't deny these things. The reality is it isn't the right application in this situation, in this circumstance. And that's another thing we ought to learn is that there can be a lot of things that are factual and true, but the right application of that truth at the right time is, by definition, wisdom. The appropriate use of knowledge is wisdom. Otherwise, it's all just humanism and intellectualism. 
He grows green in the sun and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a smooth place in the stones. If, if, he was, if he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him saying, I have not seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way. And out of all the earth, others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the dwelling place of your wicked will come. Look, Job, just repent and it'll be a happy ever after. Again, there's some truth in that, right? Repentance is good. Not Job's problem. Not Job's problem right now. Then Job answered and said, and in this chapter is where we start to kind of almost see Job, it's almost like he begins to put God on trial here a little bit, okay? Then Job answered and said, truly I know it is so. Again, intellectually, he can't argue, but his spirit just can't agree with that, agree with uh, Bildad saying. He, he knows it's intellectually true, the, the examples of natures and the contrasting, but his spirit just is grieved by what this man is saying. Truly, I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. Right? What is he doing? He's cross-examining. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who is who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He removes the mountains and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. You see, Job knows God and the hard part in this whole trial here, probably the hard part in the trials we go through, is that God is staying silent. But God needs to stay silent. Because if, if God comes and reveals the whole account here of this trial and what's going on, the testimony that's being borne witness in heaven, again, the accusation that was brought by Satan, all of it would fold. Because then Satan would say, well, sure, you told Job what was going on. Of course he's not going to deny you now. So God can't say anything in this. He's got to stay silent. Have you ever thought about that in the storm of your life? I mean, John 6 tells us again, right, that God brings us into storms to protect us. He did that with the apostles when Peter and the multitude were going to crown him king. Remember that? And he came to die. He didn't come to be crowned king at that time. And so what happens? He sends them into a boat to go across and he goes up and prays on the mountain and then eventually walks upon the water and beckons Peter. You know, Peter says, I'm not going to do that again. God, you tell me, you beckon me to come out. Okay, Lord. Because Peter learned his lesson. He, he learned what, just because it's a good motive or it seems like the right thing to do, it doesn't mean it's in the perfect will of God. Right? God directs us with his We need to have our eyes on Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. We need to have our eyes on Jesus. He guides us with his eyes. Doesn't, isn't that what it says in the Psalms? And so this is difficult, but many times we're in storms of, of our lives. We're, we're in trials. And, and, and it's in those moments, God, please say something. Let me know you're there. Let me know you're in this with me. Let me know you have my hand and you're carrying me and that I'm not alone. Like I, you promised you'll never leave me nor forsake me. But Lord, I feel really alone right now. 
This is really heavy. And many times we don't think this way. We don't stop long and pause long enough to go, is this a moment where God is getting glorified? Because if it is, it's worth it all. It doesn't matter what we go through. It's worth it all. All of the suffering, all of the, the pain and the heartache, if it means that God, if God is worshiped through our lives, isn't that why we're here? It's the only reason. Certainly not for me or for you individually. I mean, not that God doesn't want us to, uh, to somewhat enjoy our lives, right? It's a, I, I enjoy worshiping the Lord, and I enjoy bringing the gospel and sharing the gospel with people. I, I enjoy it. It's, it's wonderful to me. But Job is in this place where he, he, he doesn't know this. Is, and he's putting God almost on trial, and, and God can't say a word. God can't say a word here. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun, and it does not rot. And it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens. It's humbling, isn't it? He's describing the universe and he's describing God's sovereignty. That God has the power over all of this. And you know what, friends? I think that's the hardest part of the Christian walk. If you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you're a born-again believer here tonight, you know that God is sovereign. You know the character of God. If you've walked with him for any amount of time, you know his character. You know he has the power to speak and for everything to change based on what he says in a moment. And yet, when we wrestle, it's not a, it's not a crisis of faith. I want to be clear about this. Because there are times we have crisis of faith and we do see that throughout the scriptures. It becomes a crisis in a different way. Because we know God has the ability, but what is he going to choose to do? There's a cancer diagnosis. Lord, are you going to heal or are you going to bring me home? You know God can do either. Lord, what, what, what's your will? Your will be done. Is it, I believe, I truly believe, that's one of the more difficult aspects of the Christian faith. It, it's, it's, it's not the same as a, a young or a newbie Christian that, that is just learning the character of God and doesn't understand the sovereignty of God yet. And, and so he's like, well, Lord, can you? No, the Lord can. Does he will it? It's humbling, isn't it? And, and you know what it does? It keeps me ever so close. It keeps me ever so close to Jesus. He's saying he alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear Orion and the, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. He, he does great things past finding out the study of the universe. Oh my. A lifetime. Lifetime upon lifetimes. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? And the idea here is no one can see it unless God wants him to see it. Who can say to him, what are you doing? 
God will not withdraw his angers. The allies of the proud lie and prostrate beneath him. Prostrate beneath him. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? Certainly he can't. None of us can, right? He's almost having a conversation with himself out loud. Let the video run in your head. You can almost see him saying this out loud, sitting in that garbage dump there. For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. Sumbling. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. That's not true. He will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a matter of strength, indeed, he is strong. I love Job. He's a real human. These are honest thoughts. He's, he's setting the scene here of a court, through, again, a court and putting God on trial, that even if it's possible, um, he realizes in his own words he couldn't possibly condemn God. If it's all a matter of strength, indeed he is strong. And of his justice, who will appoint my day in court? Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. <laughs> Do you see that? Though I were blameless, it would, it would prove me perverse. He's saying, if you put me on the stand, I'd incriminate myself. <laughs> I'm blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. It is all one thing. Therefore, I say he destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. Again, none of this is true. It's amazing, isn't it, how our flesh and our minds can get it so wrong in the middle of a trial? That's why a lot of times when we're struggling, look, if, if there's anybody listening to this on the radio or, or online, you know, maybe there's something going on right now in your heart, in your life. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, man, I, I don't know if I can go another day, another minute. And you're trying to figure out how you can get yourself out of it. The reality is many times... Most of the time, we can't, but Jesus can. And sometimes, many times, it's amazing how if we just cry out and ask the Lord for help, he'll bring someone in our lives at the right time just to come along and put their arm around you and say, how are you doing? What's going on? To comfort us. Because in that moment, sometimes we can't pull ourselves. It, it just reminds me of Romans you know, when you start to read chapter 7 and 8, when Paul says, the things I don't want to do, that, that's what I do. You know, the idea he understands I'm filthy rags. And he's looking, and you can tell his eyes are so self-focused, and he's looking inward. And, and then finally in chapter 7, he breaks through, and it's almost like he has a but God moment, where he turns around, and he's like, but God. The, he realizes the answer is not looking inward to solve the problem, but looking outward to Jesus Christ with an eternal mindset and not a temporal mindset. And it's from that lens, that spiritual 2020, that God can answer and pour and help and relieve and overcome. But it's real and it happens to us. We need to cry out to God. And friends, if you see someone going through that, if you invest Earn the right to pour into them. Invest in them. I've used the example before. If somebody came up to you the first time, and I met my wife in college, and I rollerbladed into the classroom. 
if I went into New York, right, from New York, downstate, and I go and rollerblade into the classroom, and I walk right up to her, and I said, I love you. Will you marry me right now? I don't know exactly what she would have done, but I didn't do that. But obviously, she probably would have, get out of here. What's wrong with you, right? I don't know you. Who are you? How many times do we go up to somebody and we take our Bibles and we just thump them? Without ever standing down and just saying, how you doing? What's your name? What are you going through? What's your life like? What, what, where you been? What, where are you headed? And investing in them. And investing in them. And then earning the right that when the Lord opens that door, now you've earned the right and you present the gospel beautifully and the heart is melted and God can work through that rather than like winding up, you know? God always spoke truth with love and love with truth. It was never a compromise. It was never a balancing act. He ate with sinners. He invested. And then he presented his father. He presented himself. And they knew that they met with the living God. The earth is given unto the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it not, he, who else could it be? Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. It's going fast. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. I am afraid of all my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. Who's you? God. If I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and then cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will whore me. That's, again, sort of the end of the courtroom now and he's, the scene here is he's saying he's condemned. And he's saying, since God is against me, what can I do here? And the reality is, again, all wrong. God is for him. God is for you. If God be for you, what am I going to say? Who can be against? Right? We need that encouragement, friends. For he's not a man as I am that I may answer him. And that we should go to court together. Now there, nor is there any mediator between us. I, I, I chuckle when I read that passage, right? Hold your finger here and turn to 1 Timothy 2. <laughs> I think we all know this passage, but I, I, I think it's worth looking at together here tonight. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. 1 Timothy 2. Paul, through direct revelation, spoke to Timothy, his son in the faith, pastor of the church at Ephesus. And what's he say to them? For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, what? Christ Jesus. He makes it clear there is a mediator. 
who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in what? Faith and truth. In faith and truth. What's he saying? I need someone to help me with this problem. Don't you want to go, Job, Jesus? Aren't you so glad that we know that now? We have the full counsel of God. That's why it's so important to read our scripture. Let him take his rod away from me and do not uh, let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. You know, we're going to Ask the musicians to come up. We're going we're to stop here tonight. Aren't you so grateful we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? You know, things are never as bad as we think they are, and they're never as good as we think they are. But Jesus Christ has made it clear. His desire is for you. His desire is to reconcile you to the Lord. You know, I don't like to ever make presumptions. I see your faces. I see some of you. I recognize you week after week. Some of you, I don't. But if you haven't asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, what are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation. We just read about a man, a righteous man, but even his righteousness wasn't good enough to save him. He's still downwards. He still needs the Lord. We all need the Lord. Right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Right? Romans 6.23. Ages of sin is what? Death. That's what, that's what awaits the unbeliever. I'm not talking about annihilationism. I'm talking about spiritually separated from God for all of eternity. Friends, we wouldn't wish that on our worst enemy. We wouldn't wish that on our worst enemy. Today's the day of salvation. Here we are midweek. We're living in the last of the last days. Just like Job was talking about the swiftness of his life and how he felt his life leaving or fleeting from him. May we have that, you know, that hastening to bring the gospel when we walk out of these four walls into the mission field, may we wake up tomorrow with the plan and purpose to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Not one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, but all in, holding nothing back. I promise you, when you get to heaven, you're not going to sit back and go, I could have spent another day on the boat or I could have spent another day doing that. I could have worked harder and done more at the job to earn more money so that that U-Haul that's sitting back on earth as you look down from the mezzanines. No. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Friends, the stakes are high. I don't know how much time we have. We're either going to be about our father's business or we're going to be about our business. We can't serve two masters. We'll hate one, we'll love the other. Settle this in your heart. We need to settle this in our heart. The cross before us, the world behind us. No looking back.
Friends, it's time to burn the plow. Burn the plow. Amen? Stand if you're able, please. I just want to encourage you with those words because I know we, we can grow weary, right? Yeah? No, it's just me. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just voicing my... We grow weary. But there's work to be done for the kingdom of God. Just like in Isaiah 6, here I am, Lord, use me. Jesus is looking for men and women to say, here I am, Lord, use me. Father, as you just overheard, Lord, that's our anthem. That's our marching call. That's your great commission that you've given to us. Lord, may we be faithful. Lord, may we walk out of here with our, our spiritual tanks full, Lord, encouraged, built up, ready for the good work, Lord, knowing that trials and storms are going to come. But that, Lord, we, because you're an overcomer, we will be overcomers, Lord. Oh, death, where's your victory? Nothing. We have victory in you, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those divine appointments. Travel mercies to wherever we're going, Lord, to wherever you send us. Faithfulness, Lord. As, Lord, as you're going before us for this new building that you're building and everything that you're doing there, Lord, even now as the construction men are gathered and women are gathered as they're working on the site, building your church, Lord, you're building it. God, I pray they'll all get saved. Lord, I pray a revival will break right out on that Christian site, right out on that holy ground, Lord. It's, it's your land. It's dedicated to you. It's holy ground. Lord, I pray it would even happen tomorrow. Lord, how sweet would that be? Even before the building's erected, Lord, just to be able to, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. The best is yet to come, Jesus. We just praise you. We thank you. Um, thank you for the breath in our lungs. Again, we lift up our brother Daryl. We lift up all those that are going through difficult times, difficult trials, storms right now. Lord, encourage them, strengthen them. Lord, I pray be with them in the trial. Join them in the trial, Lord. And Lord, certainly bring them through it. Encourage them that they may multiply and be encouragers to others. Lord, we ask for your strength in all of these things. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. Baptize us anew with the Holy Spirit here tonight, Lord. We need that power from on high. The api, Lord, in the Greek, the power that comes upon us. The good gift from our Father. God bless you. I love you all. Have a beautiful evening in Christ Jesus.